everyone, and welcome to Fireside Friends, episode one. It's the first episode, brand new podcast. Yay! Yay! I'm Ryan Prasad, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Alan Ibrahim. Now gather around, kids, and come all close to the campfire, and let's get warm and snuggly and talk about queer things. Yep, only queer things, though. Everything else... Exclusive! Everything else can just go away. Yeah, I think that sounds good. So what are we doing here, Alan? Uh, I thought we were just going to have a little, a little chit-chat. I don't know. Is this like record? Is this being recorded? I think we're recording this. Huh. Also, we're not by a fire. You don't know that. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I probably shouldn't tip our hand. Yeah, let's let's keep the mystery. Uh, our recording equipment is getting very warm, though, so we're on yeah. a limited time frame. So what uh, this I podcast my- is for the folks at home mm-hmm. is basically we're a bi-weekly pop culture podcast so every couple weeks we get together we sit down by a fire and we talk about video games movies tv music anything that we just want to talk about um and it'll probably just be like an hour hour and a half an episode um so not anything too extraordinary but hopefully something that you will enjoy so i love it i'm excited to be a part of it yeah thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me alan the start of every journey is with two people and i'm happy to be the second of those two except when it's a one-person journey and then it's a solo journey but that's not what this is because who listens to one person podcast ryan stop me stop me i can't do this (laughs) (laughs) all right then all right so a little bit about ourselves alan yeah. Who are you? Where do you come from? What are you doing? What's I was telling up? Ryan before we recorded that I am a little scared of the question of who are you because I find that question difficult to answer myself. But I guess in a few words I could say uh, I live on the East Coast of the United States. Uh, I'm of Syrian descent. I am a younger sibling. I am a pre-dental student. And I like a lot of things. I like liking things. That is a kind of my my best version, like of a one word description of myself. Um, I am a guy. I am uh, a male, and I am happy about that. And I respect a lot of people, and I like people that respect me. Ryan, cool. Well, as for me, um, I guess I wanted to talk about my background. Um, my parents are from Guyana, which is a country in South America. Um, I am of Indian descent because uh, my great-grandparents, uh, they decided to move to Guyana uh, when they were still kicking around. Uh, so my parents then decided to move to America in the 90s. Um, and then I was born in the States, so I'm kind of the first generation of my family to live in America, and I feel like that uh, gives me a perspective, just in the way I was like raised and stuff. Gives me a perspective, and uh, just to give you an idea of where I'm coming from, I guess. And then I identify as non-binary, so I prefer they/them pronouns. So yeah, rock and roll. I think because we're both um, first generation children of immigrants and that does definitely color our perspective of perspectives of the world and how we appreciate things 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's us. And you just want to jump into our regularly scheduled podcast, Alan? I'd love to. All right. The first segment we're going to be doing is called One Thing, which is basically one thing that we want to talk about. Uh, a thing that we've been playing, reading, watching, uh, listening to that we just want to talk about on the podcast. And for me this week, it's going to be Tomodachi Life. So I got this game a week ago now, I guess. And right. it's basically a game where you're like looking over your Mies and, you know, seeing what their wants and needs are. Uh, so you go to their apartment. They all live in one apartment and they have to indicate that they have wants and needs. They kind of just give you a like a speech bubble with like scribbles in it and that means that they want something so if my character had a speech bubble with a scribble in it and then they said that they were hungry i would buy food and i would give it to them and from there i could see if they liked it or hated it or they'll say like oh i want a new hat i want new clothes and it's kind of the same system and then from there, uh, this game is has a really weird personality. Um, if you don't know, it's a 3DS game made by Nintendo. Uh, and it feels like they took the basic premise of The Sims and kind of inserted Japan into it. So, like, all the food is, like, real pictures of food. <laughs> and uh, your character would say weird things or, like, do weird stuff. Like, for example, they would... Every day there's a new, like, cart on the street, and, like, one of your me's will uh, be trying to uh, sell something. So, on my first day with steak, and uh, just like Bart Simpson was trying to sell a steak, and, like, nobody was noticing, because they just have random characters walk around the uh, the food cart, and they won't take notice. But you could just prompt to buy the steak. Um... And there's other stuff like you can play games with your Mies. And one time I lost a game. And so it seems like there's two things that they give you if you lose a game. One of them being a box of tissues. Another being a roll of toilet paper. Um, (laughs) So that's pretty fun. Um, And you can also make your... You decorate their houses. It's not really like an in-depth... Uh, house creator it's basically just like a like a background i guess right so like there's a comfy there's uh there's a girl which you know um hmm. yeah so like there's a girl themed there's like uh, like one that has a fireplace you know very like general rooms that have like their own theme uh to the point where one of them is like a cartoonish background and then one of them is called realistic and it's just pictures of outside like the woods <laughs> and your floor is like gravel oh, um man. so yeah you can also make your me's sing songs uh so i created a character called revolver ocelot revolver ocelot and he <laughs> sang a song about uh, killing Solid Snake with nano machines. It's like this metal jam, uh, and his each of the me's have like 
are like voice modulated and you can adjust it however way you want. You can make your me sound like really scary and distorted or like really fast and high pitch or yep. somewhere in between. Uh, so yeah, this game is really goofy and it's a really good like pick up uh, for 10 minutes and see what my we, my me's want and then put it down. Uh, the thing that I wanted to talk about and the thing I'm really conflicted is a lot of this game hinges on relationships and you the so the way it works is that like your mees will fall in love and when they kind of get together it unlocks more stuff in the game like more areas in the island and stuff so there's right. kind of a progression element the problem is that you can only be straight in this game your characters can only be in a relationship with a guy if they're a girl or if they're a guy they can only be in a relationship with a girl uh and it's very more so than a lot of other nintendo games it kind of just forces that onto you in a way that like animal crossing doesn't you know because animal crossing is very much like oh you're just in this town and you're gonna collect uh fruits and bugs and you're gonna talk to uh, cute animal friends here it's like you're gonna do all this weird stuff and also you have to be straight where you're going to force that onto you it's a core mechanic um and i feel like that's really conflicting because on one hand this game is really funny and goofy and something that i enjoy uh something that makes me laugh and on the other hand it's something that makes me uncomfortable because if you remember when this game came out uh, a couple months ago, or not, it didn't come out a couple months ago, but like it came out when it was coming out, like months before, there was a huge controversy over like um, the fact that you can't be gay in this game, you can't have queer relationships, and uh, the Nintendo's response was basically like, "We don't want to be political with this game," and I think that's incredibly ironic, given that this is probably the most like quote-unquote like political game that i've nintendo game at least that i've played because it just unlike all the other stuff it forces uh it's kind of worldview onto you the worldview is being like a completely straight 100 percent straight world where nobody is queer like the game doesn't have any language or you know any way to deal with queer people in this game and that is really strange uh, considering how fun everything else is, you know? Yeah, and what I remember also about that controversy was that part of the problem was that the Japanese version actually did allow for non-straight relationships, and they patched it out because they called it a bug, which, hmm. again, gets at what you're talking about, which is they had to announce that, hey, we patched out the ability to be gay in this game, mm-hmm. which... If you're trying to tell me you're not attempting to be political whatsoever, then you don't make a public statement announcing that. Right. And again, yeah, most other games like this of this type have, they just don't care because that's really the best way to handle something like this is to just let everyone be with everyone because that's how the real world works is anyone can be with anyone. Right. And it says something about the game's philosophy, which not a lot of people consider, especially with something like a cute homemaking game which is that Animal Crossing is a game about making your way up in the world and creating friend groups and social circles and 
and making things and building things and acquiring things in this sort of like capitalist loop mm -hmm. um, of, of purchasing and selling. Mm -hmm. So that is what that game is about. And that's why there it, it's essentially sexless is because it isn't about love or relationships. But half of Tomodachi life is life, which means that half of it is 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 people people living together and having mm -hmm. relationships with each other. And so for them to say that this game is about life, but it's not about that type of life right. is ironically the most politically charged thing that Nintendo has probably done in the last so long, in like the last several decades. Absolutely. And like, don't get us wrong. Like, I don't think Animal Crossing gets off the hook in the slightest. Uh, the fact that you cannot be a person of color in New Leaf is pretty gross and the fact that they haven't even made the effort to patch that in like they can patch out <laughs> to being gay in tomodachi life but they can't patch in skin <laughs> color whose textures are in the game you right. can technically be brown and black uh, so all they need to do is just provide the option to do that the fact that they haven't patched that in is ridiculous more than anything, that says that they, it's just, it's coming from a older male philosophy in Japan of like, okay, this is what people are like. And they're just, they have this very limited, narrow mindset. And a lot of people give Nintendo flack for that kind of stuff and for uh, an array of things, all sorts of things that Nintendo games in general have had problems with, but that in particular for a game that's supposed to make you feel comfortable, because we've been talking before about how a lot of 3DS games make you feel sort of relaxed and can function as basic therapy because of their repetitive nature and how they make you just feel like you're in a comfortable, safe space. And for you, as someone who's non-binary, to play a game that does not accept the way that you see yourself is very anti what I come to Nintendo for, which is to feel safe and comfortable. Actually, I meant to mention this earlier, but actually... So I've been giving my character, who is male, um, feminine clothing. And so far, my character seems to like it. Uh, so right now, my character has like a hairpin and a dress on. And there was one dress that he didn't like. Uh, and I worried for the worst that clothes was going to be gendered in this game. Right, right. Based on everything else about its politics. But then I tried more dresses and feminine clothing and uh generally he seems to like that and it gets to a point now that my me like ref feel like it reflects me uh in ways that my animal crossing character doesn't because i can't be brown in animal crossing so that's really conflicting that my specific needs are met with tomodachi life but by, by virtue of me being non-binary and being attracted to women and other non-binary people, uh, but for people who are attracted to uh, people of the same sex or the same gender, that's not the case. So it's really conflicting. I think at the end of the day, what that part says to me is that the developers are seeing clothing as an outward expression of yourself and conforming to this very negative harmful view that a lot of the world unfortunately still has which is that gender is something that's internal and not just an a, like an expression of who you are right and so i think we're moving towards a better future for that but it's just like 
a lot of the stuff that we consume on a daily basis is actually not the worst about this stuff, or they don't even have to bring it up. So hopefully the next time something like this comes out, it shouldn't even be a question that gender expression and queer relationships are just completely open and free. Because they should be. There's no... This this feels like a relic of the past. For a game that came out in, I believe, 2015, it feels clunky and awkward and, and uh, dated. Yeah, I agree. All right, do you want to move on to your one thing? Absolutely. Uh, I, this week... Got very. I watched several episodes of a show that I've been watching for the last couple weeks, which is Sense Eight. Sense Eight is a Netflix original television show created by the Wachowski siblings, uh, Lana and the other one Wachowski. Um, <laughs> she, I, I think she has a much more strong creative voice from what I've seen, but they obviously work together very well. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially about a group of eight people from all over the world of different class and racial groups and they all discover that they are connected by their souls in a way and it's very metaphysical and it's the whole show is delving into stuff about humanism and how people connect to each other and love and um this idea that everybody on the world in in the world um the reason we don't have empathy is because we don't see through each other's eyes enough and we don't realize that the world is a much bit larger place than we make it out to be and i appreciate that a lot especially in the present day when we have stuff like tamadachi life and this is an interesting parallel to that because there's a trans there's a transgendered character on on sense eight and she's fantastic and the only time her gender is brought up as a point of contention is with her mother who is clearly painted as like a like a like a a bigot essentially Mm -hmm. and Everybody else is just, you know, at the worst, I, I, there was a character, and I won't get into any sort of plot spoilers for anybody who's interested in the show, but there's a character that she meets from her past, from mm-hmm. her pre-transition past, and they, they hear that she has transitioned, and they say, oh, that's, you know what? And they're like, okay, anyways, we have stuff to do. That is not important. Yeah. And it's, it's little moments like that that I am like, okay, this is a show I can get and I can enjoy, and... As someone who also thinks that American media paints the world in a really um, specific sort of touristy way, I appreciate that Sensei like films different settings in those actual places. And I imagine that it must have been an incredibly huge effort to film in India and in London mm-hmm. and in in Africa, but it really does show in the way, like in the color and then the culture of those different disparate places how they differ and how they are important and how in some ways they're actually similar because it gives us this kind of like, okay, maybe the whole world is, we're basically all going through similar things in different settings. The only thing that I've started noticing as I get further into the show is that, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, that's why I wanted to talk about it with you, is that it is a show entirely created by uh, Americans and mm-hmm. white, pr- primarily white people, um, mm-hmm. and so that is where I start to find problems with it because more than half of the characters on Sense Eight are white, um, mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know. That just every, every character that is non-white oftentimes feels like they are living in a postcard version of another country or like a tourist's uh-huh. version of another country, like um, 
the character from Africa, his mother has AIDS and he works for slumlords and he has to uh, shuttle drugs on a bus uh-huh. with his friend. And mm-hmm. so it feels like an American version of Africa and it doesn't feel like an African version of Africa, right. which is unfortunate. Yeah, well, I really do appreciate that Sensei tries uh, to bring in, like you said, all these different cultures and makes it about being together as, you know, one world. Um, Yeah, like you said, (laughs) uh, things end up being kind of like, it's kind of like archetypes in a way. Right. Because from my perspective, I I can't claim to be educated uh, about you know uh, African culture or whatever, but there is an Indian character, and her storyline is like being married to, uh, or going through like being married to a guy that she doesn't like. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of like very stereotypical like let's have a Bollywood dance scene, you know. <laughs> yep. Let's talk about how. Indian women are uncomfortable with sex for some reason. You know, it's... Yeah. I really do appreciate that this tries, um, but there seems to me... There seems to be more of uh, a sense of realism with the American characters than there is with the characters from the other cultures. Exactly. And even... Or at least I shouldn't say realism. I should say like maybe nuance is a better word. Yeah, right. Because we're not saying that the character in Africa is unrealistic because their mother has AIDS. That is absolutely a real issue Mm -hmm. in Africa. But that's that is also a specific type. It's 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 a it's a lens that we always tend to view uh, lower income countries in Africa as exactly. We like the Asian lady is good at karate. The Indian woman doesn't want to get married. The African's mom has AIDS. Those are things that we've seen before. What we haven't seen in a lot of media is the trans woman is having trouble separating from her abusive mother. Why can't we have that level of like deep uh, storylines that we haven't really seen before in these other cultures, you know? Or if anything then if you're going to lean into everyone as a cartoon character, then you got to make the white people cartoon characters. And you can't tell me that that's not possible because I can, <laughs> there are plenty of really easy, basic stereotypes about Americans and white culture that are just as mm-hmm. uh, generic as a lot of the stereotypes that they use for the rest of the world. Right. Um, so what I end up enjoying about the show is the, the moments where everybody re- interacts with each other and where certain characters learn and expand their worldview based on, how the other people live their lives and how they can sometimes see through each other's eyes or feel each other's feelings. Um, Because I think that the individual plots, this was a problem that I actually had with the show early on, which was that it felt like there was too much going on. But really Mm -hmm. very quickly, what you realize is that none of the individual plots are particularly complicated. And all of the sort of magic of the show comes from the fight scenes and the moments where people, uh, have a tender moment together or where some of them even fall in love with each other. Like these are the moments that are, that are worth watching in the show. And I think by the time I finish it, I'll have a better idea of where it wants to go. Cause it's supposedly going right. to be a multi-season program. It is. is they have yeah. confirmed a second season. Yes. Right. And I think they want to go for like four seasons. So um, it is clearly 
broadening out to something more expansive and worldly than it is right now. And Mm -hmm. my biggest hope for future seasons of the show is just that they hire on some foreign directors and writers. That's all you got to do is, is listen and, and communicate with people of other cultures. Cause that's what your show is about. Right. But it's a huge, it adds, it's really, it really is a huge step in the right direction, especially mm-hmm. because I can introduce it to someone as the show that is about eight different people from all over the world. And that is a universally cool idea. And then even if I tell them, they don't even have to hear immediately, like, oh, one of them is gay and one of them is trans and one of them is, you know, a strong female. These are things that are just, these just exist. These aren't, those don't need to be bullet points because mm-hmm. they just are like that. And so I think I hope it re- it's doing well for for them. And you got to You got to give it up to the Wachowskis. They they have the the gumption to do something like this. Um, there's actually a documentary also on Netflix about how they made the show, mm. because there are a lot of episodes where characters will appear in other people's worlds. And so they had to, like, film with everyone everywhere, ostensibly. Yes. Which was apparently just a ridiculous amount of, of filming. I would imagine. But, um, um, yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, uh, I really like Sense8, despite some of the issues I've had with it. Um, but the last episode is my favorite episode. Uh, the whole thing, the things that they build up to have a really good payoff, and I can't wait for you to watch it. Yeah, very excited. I have three episodes left as of this recording, so I might actually watch again tonight. Awesome. All right, so let's talk about our general discussion, which is basically a topic of the podcast. Um, so our general discussion for this podcast uh, <laughs> is podcasts. Oh, because you know, we're meta from episode one. Uh, we're launching a podcast, and I feel like it would be pretty neat to talk about the stuff that we like and dislike. Uh, from other podcasts because let's be honest alan we're doing this because we listen to a lot of podcasts we do we're not gonna hide that for another second <laughs> we listen to so many um maybe too much but um oh yeah probably but i'm not gonna stop it's okay podcasts are pretty cool alan uh i guess we'll start with you i guess you can either name some podcasts that you like we're not gonna name podcasts that we don't like because we don't want to be like super negative on here um but like oh yeah stuff podcasts that you like and stuff that you like about them uh because this podcast is all about like talking to your friends and uh being honest and expressive yeah exactly and for me this comes from a place uh of just listening to other people's work and just riffing off of that and just making it my own and i want to give people credit yeah and so i've been listening to podcasts in various forms since oh gosh 2006 2005 which is a lot that's like a decade that's over a decade Mm -hmm. and initially it was because i was on itunes and i just hit that button on the store and i typed in something that I was into at the time, which was World of Warcraft. And I went from there. And so the first podcast that I ever listened to was a a gaming podcast. And the thing is that now those are the types of shows that I listen to the most. But the things that I love the most are the ones that I always have had a personal connection to or that I feel particularly attached to the hosts of. Because that's what makes a good podcast is it's, it's host quality and it's uh, sort of like staying staying power and it's this, it's like oh can I still enjoy this 50 episodes down the line 
oh, hey, now it turns out I love it because I've been listening to it every day for f- half a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of podcasts that I like that follow that sort of theme. Um, Idle Thumbs, which I think I discovered somehow when I got my wisdom teeth taken out six years ago. And I was out of commission for like two or three days. And I listened to every single one of their episodes uh, in that span of time because it was just a lot of sleeping and taking pain medications. And I think in terms of how they inspire me and how they lead me to being the type of podcaster that I am, it's it's the way that the hosts interact with each other. It's um, the way that they can talk about stuff without sounding like they're arguing, mm-hmm. which I think is a very important thing in a show, which is supposed to be about people that like each other that are going to talk every week <laughs> and <laughs> and their ability to, to feel like people that just like things and are just enthusiasts about the things that they like and they aren't necessarily knee deep in the culture that they're discussing because idle thumbs never to me felt like a gaming podcast in the stereotypical sense of the word right it feels like a bunch of people with jobs that sometimes like to talk about the games that they play yes so i i like that about them a lot and they actually Mm -hmm. they've been going for a while they relaunched in 2012 and they're still going strong Um, so they're really great uh ryan do you want to take the next one Sure. Um, for me, it's tough because I feel like my taste in podcasts has changed a lot over time. Um, I used to be a huge fan of uh, the Giant Bombcast, but more and more I find that I value more diverse voices and more perspectives that you don't usually hear anywhere else. Um, so a couple of podcasts that do that really well uh, is... Uh, a podcast called Justice Points, um, who unfortunately is not a podcast anymore, but um, when they were a podcast, they were one of the best uh, gaming podcasts that I listened to. Um, there were two women hosting a podcast, and they just talked about games in terms of social justice and feminism, and they had really cool guests on, such as Austin Walker, Gita Jackson, uh, Soha Kareem, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and not a lot of podcasts just say, hey, we're going to make a podcast about social justice and, justice and feminism. And if you don't like it, just go away. Right. Uh, um, so that podcast is really important to me. Um, and another podcast that kind of birthed this one is a new podcast called Idle Weekend, which is on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, it is uh, Danielle Riendo and Rob Zachney. Uh it's very structured, uh, and it's they go really in-depth with a lot of topics. And I was listening to that last week, and I said, you know, me and Alan could do something like this if we really pushed ourselves to do it. That's kind of why Fireside Friends exists. Yeah, there are so many inspirations that we... We wouldn't be here without, um, it's that. And I also love Idle Weekend. I also like that I, so another thing that I like about podcasts in general is that I don't have to agree. I don't have to have my opinions regurgitated back at me. Exactly. So I've been, that's why I tend to prefer non-gaming podcasts because I don't have particularly strong tastes about video games. But, um, another one that I really like related to that idea of that people that I can disagree with politely is the comedy button, which, is a podcast hosted by four former employees of IGN who went off on their own and started a Patreon and have this incredibly, wonderfully tight-knit community of fans 
that they are very open with and they just once a week sit around a bunch of mics and talk and it basically is comedic group therapy and although it is it's you know four or five straight white men which is like that's every podcast it feels unique in that it isn't about anything it isn't trying to be structured the way something like an idol weekend is not that there's anything wrong with that but it is deliberately evergreen because they can just talk about life Mm -hmm. and how weird it is that we have grown up in an internet age if there's ever been a common theme in the commie button it's that and it's this idea that we are the of them in particular the hosts are working in an industry or have or have in the past worked in industries that are still rising up and it's like how did how did we get these jobs how do we how do we live here um one of the songs that they constantly joke about how their lives feel very similar to is once in a lifetime by the talking heads which is a song about a man who wakes up one day and finds out that he's 40 and has a wife and a house and a dog that he didn't realize he had and how strange that is to him and having this existential crisis and i think the comedy button in terms of what i take away from it is that it's a show about people and not a show about anything which there aren't enough podcasts about and so i like that this show although we do talk about pop culture and we do have a structure is also about who we are as people and how we in particularly in particular navigate the present and in the art that we consume. Absolutely. Another podcast I want to cite uh, kind of going off what you just said about a podcast about people is Woodland Secrets, uh, which is a podcast that Maricopas runs uh, where she basically uh, each episode interviews someone or I wouldn't even say interview she talks to like someone that she knows it it isn't really necessarily about video games. It could be a games critic. It could be someone who works in games. It could also be a sex worker or, you know, someone who works in comics and they just have a conversation and it's really relaxing and just the perfect way to spend a Sunday evening. And that's also a huge influence on this podcast especially in terms of tone and feel we we actually joked how funny it is that we do we update on the same day that they do or do we post on the same day that they do i want to update every sunday evening i think they might vary uh when they upload woodland secrets but yeah it's typically weekends i think all right and so it's that and it's also the fact that both of our titles have to do with like you know the forest (laughs) which i think is kind of it's oddly coincidental and it's not intentional um or is it that's the true mystery i don't think it was it's hard to find a good podcast name that's true it's incredibly hard i think and this name we can eventually tell the story i mean it really it just kind of came out as an accident through a google google doc where we said Mm -hmm. what if uh and then i just kept typing things and then we found this one um the last podcast that i want to mention real quick that we both listen to um you are a bigger fan than i am but i just recently started getting back into them is abnormal mapping which is a podcast hosted by a few friends of ours, uh, Jackson Tyler, Destiny Sturdivant, and Matthew Marco, who are three people from <laughs> basically opposite sides of the world. Um, and they, similar, similarly to us, talk about art and video games and uh, each other in a way that feels very genuine and very grassroots and... Uh, it's 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 got a workmanlike quality to it, and I don't mean that in any sort of negative way. I, I think that term is often taken to mean like this feels like it was done by amateurs, 
which I don't think abnormal mapping is at all. I think they're incredibly professional. Um, but that's another example where we wouldn't be here without them because Jackson in particularly has, uh, in particularly, uh, ugh, words are hard, has taught me a lot about how to make podcasts and is part of the reason that I still do, you know, this one and, and, and several others. Um, and they just have such a good repartee. They have such a good uh, way of talking to each other because they've known each other for long enough that they they don't take it. They don't take each other's guff anymore. Like they're just really comfortable with each other, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what do you you have listened to them longer than I have? So, what are your thoughts on? Uh, yeah, my favorite thing about abnormal mapping is that you know they know the podcast they did want to be. All of them have been friends for for a pretty long time, and uh, they have great chemistry, and they have a good structure, and they just stick to it each month, and it works, and it's a great podcast. And I should, I it needs more listeners. People should listen to Abnormal Mapping. Right, they've reached this sort of critical mass for a show that hardly anyone listens to because they're so good, and they're just they keep making them consistently well enough that it's like all we need now is an audience to like give us the feedback. And then we'll just because they're already like the best. They just need that. Absolutely. So if if I were to recommend one of the the shows that we've mentioned here today, like listen to Abnormal Mapping. You probably listen to the other ones, but Abnormal Mapping is unique and special. Yes. Uh. So yeah, <laughs> as with Abnormal Mapping, just if you haven't already checked out this podcast, please check them out. They are huge, huge influences on us, and we just kind of wanted to cite them. Uh. Because without all of this podcast, we wouldn't be here. Um, and if you've listened to all of those already, then it probably shows because we wear our, our hearts on our sleeves. So please check those out. And with that, we're going to move on to our shared experience, which a shared experience in the context of this podcast is either a game club, a movie club, a book club, etc., etc., except... The format changes every uh, podcast, uh, so if I change Game Club to Movie Club every podcast, it would be confusing, so that's why I called it Shared Experience. And this week, Alan, we watched Starship Troopers. Oh, we did. Oh, we absolutely did, Ryan. I'm so excited we're here. So this is a movie that I haven't seen before, before watching it for this podcast. Um, and this is a movie that you've seen, Alan. Yes. Um, so I guess I'll start first. Um, I'm really conflicted on this movie. I wouldn't say I hated it, but I didn't really like watching it all that much. I think it's an interesting movie in that it's a commentary on American politics and how like close we are to fascism and stuff like that through our military, through our obsession with violence. And I think there are points where uh, this film definitely hits on that theme perfectly and there are times especially in the back half where it just misses its own point i think right and we were talking previously privately about how the main problem of the second hour let's say of starship troopers is that it expects you in some parts but not all of them to care about the characters and before that the film is rife with these intercut sh- scenes, which are probably my favorite parts of the whole movie, which are basically structured as TV broadcasts or like internet broadcasts uh, that are in universe and sort of offer world building in a way that is interesting and unique. 
and really funny, which is important. Mm-hmm. I think this movie succeeds the most where it is funny. Um, I previously saw it live with like a movie website. If anybody remembers screen.com, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> that website, they every week would do a live watch with people or of them doing commentary over a movie that you could sync up and watch with them. And I remembered bits and pieces of it. And that was a cool thing for me watching it now was to sort of look back and be like, oh, yeah, I remember what they said during this part. But as a film, I think, yeah, you you touched on all of the main things that it does. But it also, you can argue that it is critiquing just American action cinema in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And how how many plot beats we tend to just fall into immediately and by accident. And how even if you try to create a society that, in, in a world like the world of Starship Troopers where everybody's supposed to be equal, you very, very quickly fall into like, oh, now we have action heroes. Because that is inevitable in a world where that we glorify violence and we create uh, others out of people that are not us. Yeah. Um, for me, the point where this movie fell apart. Um, well, first I want to say the opening to this movie is really strong because like you said, it is the uh, kind of commercial style bits um, yeah. that is the opening of this movie and it sets the tone as like this over the top movie about American militarism uh, and the fact that they're going they're fighting against giant bugs um, the point where it falls flat is where uh, they wrap around on the opening uh, because the opening is basically like a flash forward and then there's a flashback and then they eventually catch up to where the intro is and that's where it falls apart that's where the movie um that's where it just lost me because that's the point where it's like okay let's be a conventional hollywood movie now where you're supposed to care about these characters and the situation that they're in and i just couldn't care less what's what's strange to me about watching it again is that I remember when I first saw that film sort of not getting it and I had plenty of friends who watched it and said this is a dumb action movie the beginning is really weird the second part is fine which Uh I think is partly due to the fact that it's a Paul Verhoeven movie and he's the person who directed Robocop which is also a dumb action movie or a really smart critique of American society disguised as a dumb action movie and one of the reasons that Starship Troopers doesn't land as hard as it feels like it's beginning says it will is because it's an adaptation of a Robert E. Heinlein book. And I have not read that book, but I have heard that it goes way, way deeper into the fascism stuff to the point where some have argued that the novel is actually pro-fascism. And uh, it goes way further than in the story than, than the film does. Mm-hmm. And so more than anything once i was watching the second half i was just pausing every like 20 minutes to read up on what the what the book was saying at this point in the story Uh um but there is some great stuff in the way that they build the world like i mentioned to you real briefly how i really appreciated the subtle touch that in this future military army there's like they're essentially gender neutral nobody ever mentions anybody else's gender or sex or anything and it's never brought up or joked about. And there's a pretty infamous scene around the middle of the movie where it's just a big old communal shower and everybody is 
showering together and talking like oh what do you why did you come here and one of them says i needed to pay for college and everyone's naked and everyone's just showing off their bits and then no it's not even weird because in the future no one we don't have to care about that anymore Mm -hmm. my favorite bit i really like i like that part of it uh my favorite bit though is the little commercial where they just give kids giant guns and just encourage them to play with it uh and then at towards the end they <laughs> they give kids a bunch of bullets but they're like raining it down like pieces of candy yep and they're that all really, like, yeah yeah that made me laugh and that was the most on nose message that this movie uh presented and what's cool is there's a lot of subtle stuff that the movie doesn't make obvious enough like the first of all that's that part is clearly also joking about how we like sell fake guns to kids to be like hey look how fun it is to like shoot your friends like go buy nerf guns because it's cool Mm -hmm. to have like a full clip that you can blast into your buddy because it's harmless and so that's why they constantly make the aliens seem like these things that are it's so fun to kill and it's a good idea we should kill them and one of the my favorite subtle moments of the film in regards to that whole thing is um well a real quickly i should mention that I was going to say, towards the end of the movie, when the main character played terribly by uh, generic white guy number 11, Casper Van Dien, uh, he sort of climbs the ranks, becomes a commander, and then uh, is given a, a squad of young children, or of like of like teenagers. And I was like, I bet you those are the kids that, that were in that commercial. I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't put it behind them. <laughs> or like that same type of, those same types of people. Um, but my favorite mm-hmm. subtle moment was in the in the sort of mess hall where Casper Indian's character fights um, his rival who's with uh, his former girlfriend, whatever the plot of this movie is so generic oh, on a basic level. About, I need to talk about how dumb the romance is in this movie. And I don't know if it's intentional or not. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get into that. But um, that right as they start to get into that moment, there's a news reporter who is kind of a fun recurring character. And, um, that reporter is like interviewing everyone and talking about stuff. But right before he starts asking them stuff, he says something about like, we have reports that the bugs might be capable of free thought. And like, maybe they're only fighting us because we fought yeah. them. And they're like, no, 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 never mind. Forget that. Forget no, I just forget said. it. Forget it. Forget that. I said that was that. dumb. Why would you say I, that? I like that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Bugs are people too. You guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what, what was <laughs> What was your what was your thing with the relationship? So like the movie starts out with the main characters in high school, and it's tip it's like a typical dumb high school uh, movie plot, except it's in the future slightly. And they like play space football, the, I like how space football in this movie is just them playing football indoors. Yep, <laughs> with like a like a glowy ball, like, yeah, with a silver ball. ball, and everybody's wearing ridiculous gear because they're playing it on the hard ground, and you yeah. need. To- <laughs> don't want to get destroyed if you get tackled yeah exactly yeah and like these characters there's like a, a there's like a love rectangle um, <laughs> and i can't tell if it's meant to be the most unbearable thing in the world because they're just shitty teens they're absolutely shitty teens and technically castle Randian's character only goes to war because he his girlfriend went yes. to war that's his secret reason and like I don't know. I don't know what to make of that aspect of the movie, to be honest. Uh, because it's not like it's not inherently sexist. Like people just 
love like each other, but like in the most insufferable ways, and the most like insufferable ways of like conveying it, I guess. So I don't know. I would argue maybe that it isn't sexist, particularly because there's the scene where uh, oh, there's so many characters and they're all white. There's it's just the most <laughs> mayonnaise movie in the world, and that's completely yes. intentional. There are a couple people of color in the army, but like in the whole high school thing and all of that, it's just. This is a white people, the movie. So I'll, there's Casper uh, Van Dien, who's, I'm going to, uh, Rico, that's his name. There's uh, Denise Richards, who's his lady friend. And then mm-hmm. there, there's her friend, who she's secretly with, who she secretly likes. And she leaves Casper Van Dien and says, hey, we're going to war. And even though I said we could stay together, I'm kind of busy and I think we should break up. And then he's like, oh, sad. And then, right. uh, <laughs> but, but they don't, what I, the reason I, I say maybe this isn't sexist is because they don't villainize her for that. They're just like, right. she likes someone else. She wants to have sex with someone else and like do her own job. Exactly. Like, bad. Exactly. That, I didn't mean to imply that it was, uh, I just meant to say that that wasn't my problem with it. Right. Uh, I do feel like it treats its characters, all of its characters with respect. I just, the way that they write it. I just couldn't stand how those characters acted and how they expressed their love, I suppose. I actually highly recommend you find the IM- the everyone at home also find the IMDb trivia for this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one that I found was that Paul Verhoeven read the first like page of the book and he said, I got bored and depressed. And then he stopped reading the book. Mm-hmm. So this is an adaptation of a book he read one page of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. There's stuff like that where I could tell that some of the plots in the movie were going to be fleshed out more, and then they just kind of had to rush it along because they wanted to just tell a movie story instead of adapt a book. They clearly didn't care about the source material, which is fine. Um, It just it explains a lot of the weirdness, like the fact that, and this is also pointed out in the trivia, all of the adults are missing body parts, which is like a really easy metaphor for the horrors of war. And Mm -hmm. there's that scene, I can't remember exactly. Oh, it's when they all are going to sign up. And uh, everyone gets their assignments. Neil Patrick Harris's character gets to be like uh, R and D or something. <laughs> and Neil the guy's Patrick like Harris's character in this movie is ridiculous. He has one of the best worst arcs of the whole movie for sure, <laughs> for sure. But um, the guy that's giving them the passes is like, "Oh, Castle Randy, and you're on generic infantry." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do my best." And he's like, "Yeah, infantry is really good. They really make it out there." Like me, I was generic infantry. And then it pulls back, and he does, he's missing both legs. Right. <laughs> he's like, oh, no. <laughs> exactly. Um, and fun fact, that character actually, that actor didn't uh, is a paraplegic. Oh, that wow. was not a prosthetic or anything. Hmm. So there's a weird attention to detail like that that is yeah. fascinating to me. Oh, but can we, you, can we talk about Neil Patrick Harris' character? Yeah. Oh, you mean how he goes from the, the third guy <laughs> to, to, and then in the span of like an hour where we've only seen him two more times, he's become Nazi general number one? Like, literally, SS Nazi general number Is it just me? Okay, did he put on, like, a weird accent, too, as part of his, like, transition? Yes, absolutely. That's ridiculous. I love it. That's the one thing about the ending that I love, is that he just comes back out of nowhere and has this ridiculous accent. (laughs) And, like, the hat. Like, he... All all of... There's another bit of trivia that was, like, all of the armor and stuff is based on um, different World War II uniforms and, like, Mm -hmm. Nazi uniforms and stuff. And his character, yeah, with that particular hat, and he's in all black, and he's his face looks so gaunt, like he just went through hell. Yeah. And he's like, hello, you know, you guys, <laughs> we're still friends. And the movie, tra- this is why I think the movie really is taking the piss out of itself, and it's not trying to make you, like, it seems like he wants you to care about the characters, but maybe it doesn't, mm-hmm. is they go through all of this hell, 
And coincidentally, because of movie magic, these specific three characters, Denise Richards, Casper Van Dien, mm-hmm. and Neil Patrick Harris, advance in rank so fast. <laughs> now, by the end of the film, from going to We Just Joined the Army, Casper Van Dien is a commander, Denise Richards owns a ship, and <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris is like super Nazi general man. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they progress so fast, and they're like, yeah, we're all on opposite sides of the world now, but we're still friends. And then they all like hold hands and like buddy buddy, and then that's like the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, they clearly didn't, they didn't want this movie to be dark or for you to actually care that much because they're just like okay, everyone gets out fine, and we made like four sequels except for the brain alien, who Aww. says I'm afraid, and everybody cheers that the alien is afraid. That scene was weird. The second half of this movie, when I watched it, I felt like I was a kid not knowing that wrestling was fake. Oh my god, yeah. Because I'm just like, this is over the top and ridiculous, but I can't tell if it's intentionally... If it's intentional or not, basically. Like, I know that's supposed to be over the top, but like, am I supposed to care? Like, what's going on? And then the la- the ending where the alien says, I'm afraid, fe- almost feels like this movie had multiple script writers. One was, like, who wanted to make it all Hollywood and one that wanted to stick to the themes. And then at some point, someone was like, oh, we need to get back to the theme, everyone. Let's Let's put this in. And it just felt really disorienting to me. What if aliens, ha- what if the bugs had souls too? Oh wait, but we also want to blow up a bunch of bug nests and then cheer and get tattoos on our arms. <laughs> the thing though is like, they say that, they allude to the bugs having feelings, but that was like an hour and a half ago, and then they just bring it up again at the end. That actually made me really curious if maybe the sequels, which were not directed by, I don't think they were directed by Verhoeven, maybe I'm wrong, but they were not all the same actors. Like if they finally, if they had the time to get into more of that. But I doubt it because <laughs> just the movie is yeah you're I'm ninety percent sure you're right that it was rewritten a bunch and probably written by like a bunch of different people um, and it's so weird for that reason and so fascinating that it just feels like this stitched together Frankenstein's monster of genuine military raw rawness and also like th- a commentary on how that is the most like toxic <laughs> type of cinema that we have today. Mm-hmm. It just flits back and forth, like scene to scene. Um, right. There's what was the scene that I liked a lot? Oh, um, the one of the other like TV spots was showing that uh, what's the place where they're from? In was it in New Mexico? Oh, it's some. Uh, it's a real place. I don't know why I can't remember it. Costa Rica. Coast? No, is it Costa Rica? I I am ninety percent sure. Because they blew it up. I'm pretty sure they blew up Costa Rica. Yeah. So they like cut to a bunch of people res- of coming out of the rubble of Costa Rica. And there's just like a dead dog. Which, okay, Verhoeven really likes to like show dead animals, which is not cool. But, I mean, it's like it's that is exactly the type of violence that he likes. Um, and it just cuts to a guy that looks at the screen real seriously. And he's like, the only good bug is a dead bug. And then cuts away from him. And you're like, what are you trying to say? What are you? I want to talk to the people who wrote this movie and just, I need to understand because there's something there, which is exactly how I feel about Robocop, which is why it's one of my favorite eighties films um, is that there's something brilliant hidden under pounds and pounds of nonsense. 
Yeah. Uh, we didn't even talk about Jake Busey, who was inexplicably in a lot of this movie, like way more than I remembered. Yeah. Um, Jake Busey, son of actor Gary Busey, has just blindingly white teeth and <laughs> is Casper Van Dien's like buddy buddy during the war um, who somehow survives through all of it. And I just love the little character detail that he likes to play the violin. (laughs) Oh, and like the weird synth violin that he gets towards the middle. Yeah, that's what that's the scene is. uh, uh, What's what's the other actor's name? Um, Michael Ironsides, who's like the general. He's like, all right, guys, you all did great work. Now here's the (laughs) here's the booze. And then everyone jump. And it's like a, you know, keg of of beer and then he's like and here's the fun and it's like three footballs and one violin and you're like this is the most plot convenient reward <laughs> and and uh and jake Busey's like oh, finally and then he plays like apparently it's a it's a that character is supposed to be from the southern united states and the song he plays is uh it's like the theme of the confederate army which is <laughs> that's very strange but it makes sense good um yeah, and he's this movie is really weird. It's fascinatingly weird to me. Even when it's really frustrating and difficult, I think it is one of the most fascinating action films of the late 90s. Um, and a lot of people just don't get it the same way that a lot of people never got the book because um, the, the what's it called? The like commentary is pretty underneath the hood. It's pretty deep underneath there. Right. Is that all? the first starship troopers i think so there's a ton of weird trivia that i could read but it's all like again just the imdb trivia for this movie is fascinating um yeah and it's a little long again i think you could cut out a lot of that military stuff but um Mm -hmm. at least the first half of it is a very interesting watch and i would probably again watch it with some friends in like five six years just to remember what it's like to watch casper van dien get like whipped in front of his army buddies. Very, very weirdly kinky scene, which I was into Mm -hmm. uh, when he's getting punished. But yeah, very, very strange film. I'm glad we watched it. Yep. All right. So that's it for Starship Troopers. Next podcast, (gasps) we're going to be talking about Firewatch (gasps) for our shared experience. We are. Uh, That is a video game that recently came out a couple weeks ago. Um, Or if you guess a few days ago of this recording, um, uh, by a studio named Campo Santo, um, and you can find that game on PC and PS4. It's about twenty dollars. Uh, it's not terribly long from what I am amounting from discussions online, like three to five hours. Yeah, yeah. I I finished it a couple days ago. I think they're putting out a patch fairly soon that's going to like improve some of the issues with the PS4 version. Okay. And I kind of, I played it launch day, which was last Tuesday, very quickly, and I I definitely want to give it another shot after that patch, um, to sort of fully experience it even more. And so I think it'll be a very what I played of it, I adored. So I think it's going to be a great discussion. Awesome. Uh, and I just want to say real quick that our shared experience, as you probably uh, got from our Starship Trooper discussion, we're going to be talking about spoilers. So um, uh, if you don't want to be spoiled by us you should uh maybe play firewatch before you listen to the podcast otherwise you know our podcast will always be here uh so if you get to the shared experience and you haven't played the thing or watched the thing just come back when you've already seen it or if you don't care then fuck it and i don't listen know away. 
uh, and that's part of why we put it at the end is so people can uh, listen to the rest of it and then stop there. We will Absolutely. also we'll put it we'll we'll kind of audibly say like spoilers for the thing that's about to come up and give you guys a bit of time to pause it or whatever or play the thing. Um, and we'll also try to include like a timestamp uh, of when that is for people. Yep, we didn't do this for this movie because it's 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 an old the first movie. episode. It's the first episode, and also the movie's old. Yes. So um, we try to make everything available and easily digestible in two weeks, partly for our sake and partly for you guys being able to uh, listen or watch or play along with us. All right. Is that it? I think so. I think we just did it. All right. Well, if you like this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Fireside. If you have any questions, comments, emails, concerns, you can send them in at firesidefriendspodcast at gmail.com. Alan, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, my Twitter handle is at Alan Ibrahim. That's A-L-L-E-N-I-B-R-A-H-I-M. A little long, but I managed to get my full name, so I'm happy about that. Anything else you want to plug? Nothing that I have coming out anytime soon, but I will have some fun stuff to plug very soon. Or, awesome. you know, in the in the future. <laughs> Great. And you can find me on Twitter at Taco Detective, and I have a blog that is tacodetective.com. And with that, I think that's the end of our episode. So for everyone here at Fireset Friends, thanks everybody for listening. Good luck out there, and don't forget to take care of yourself. See ya.